This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 73, with Echo Charles sitting across from me and me, Jocko Willing. So I was at a jiu-jitsu tournament recently, and I was coaching one of our students who's a, a blue belch. Mm-hmm. And she wrestled in high school. She has a good background in jiu-jitsu. She might be related to me. <laughs> uh, so she, she did... Um, Started off the day, you know, we had a bunch of team, bunch of people from Victory there, but the the tournament started off with Gi. She did Gi. She did great. She she won um, gold in that one, and then in No Gi, which she wrestled in high school. So what are you thinking? Yeah, you're thinking you know, you know, gonna be that's kind of our you know her A A O. And anyways, she lost her first. You know, she's going against a really really good bunch of really good girls. I mean, a blue belt right now, like. And actually, no geese. So some of these girls are not blue belts. Some of them maybe purple belts or whatever. I don't necessarily know what these uh, other women were, but she lost her first match, and so she got done. And you know, she's got another match coming up. And before she started her next match, I gave her a little time, you know, because the last thing you do, like when someone walks off after losing, is immediately just go into critique mode because that ain't gonna land. Especially with my daughter, <laughs> it ain't gonna land at all. So, you know, I just didn't say anything. You know, let her chill. And then when she's getting ready, like she kind of gave me a look, like, "What do you got? You know, mm-hmm. what should I do?" And I was like, "Cool." I said, "Like permission to speak." And so I told her, uh, I just said, "Hey, don't accept anything." And she knew what I was talking about. She knew that in the previous match, which was a tough match, she lost two to zero, but she accepted some things, you know? And she knew what I was talking about. And it happens. It happens in jujitsu and it happens in in life. So and she actually won the match where she didn't accept anything. She she won that next match and all good but so like rolling with dean if i roll with dean list who's a world champion guy really good like naturally incredibly gifted um, jujitsu player if i accept if i go into the onto the mat and i'm like oh you know no big deal if he does this no big deal i'm gonna get murdered Mm -hmm. you have to go in when i train with dean most days there's some days if he's having a horrible day maybe i can accept a little bit but if i if i want to go in there and actually do well i can't accept anything Think about that. I cannot accept anything. I can't accept it. Mm. I have to fight everything. And if I accept, I get I get murdered. Okay. So if you're going look, and if you're going with someone that's better than you, this is kind of like what you have to do. Especially if someone has a tight game, right? Mm-hmm. Someone has a tight game, and you accept, you they're gonna they're gonna destroy you. Here's another thing. Like I say, you should never voluntarily let someone close their guard on you. There's another thing that people get used to accepting, right? And look, is there a time for it? Yes, there is. But most of the time, you don't accept someone to do that. Don't let them do it. Don't accept it. Mm. You have to watch out for that. Don't accept the takedown. I I had Jeremy Stevens, UFC. It was the first fight where he had moved out here to San Diego to train. And he was fighting Rafael Dos Anjos, okay? And Jeremy Stevens is a freaking awesome guy. And he's from Iowa, you know, he wrestled in high school, but his jujitsu, this is when he first got here. This is probably 10 years ago, something like that. Yeah. It's a long, it's maybe even more, more than 10 years. Yeah. It's 10, more than 10 years ago. 
he did not know jujitsu. He was an actual white belt in jujitsu, like an actual like white belt in jujitsu. And he's fighting Rafael Dos Anjos, who's a world, you know, world beater in jujitsu, a black belt in jujitsu. And I, and so Jeremy's fight, I think the fight was in Chicago, I think. Mm. And we're getting ready. You can't teach someone. We have whatever, five weeks to get him ready. You yeah. can't teach someone jujitsu in five weeks. You show them a couple basic things. You can't teach him jujitsu. You can't, you can't teach someone to survive against a black belt on the mats in five weeks. You cannot do it. Mm. So I was like, listen, you cannot get taken down. Do not accept the takedown at all, ever, against this guy. If, you, if he takes you down, you're gonna fucking die. Sure. And he went in there, and dude, this guy was trying to take him down. And look, Jeremy had like high school level wrestling, mm-hmm. but more important, he had the mindset he was not going to accept the takedown. It wasn't he. I said, hey, listen, when if you start getting taken down before you hit the ground, you're getting back up. You're getting away from him. You fight like you're gonna die if you go down. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. And in the third round, he knocked Dos Anjos into freaking next year, bro. <laughs> like. <laughs> It's one of the, it's a, it's a highlight, yeah. it's a highlight, all-time highlight of UFC yeah. is his uppercut from the depths of hell <laughs> and yeah. blew Dos Anjos consciousness out of the stadium. Yeah. In the third round, after fighting off takedowns, just, just would not accept it. Mm-hmm. So, this happens in real life as well. We allow things to happen that we should not accept. We should not accept. We allow ourselves to get out of shape. You see people like that? You didn't get out of shape overnight. You accepted it day after day after day after day. We let ourselves get into bad financial situations. We accept it a little bit at a time. I'll just put this on credit. I'll just get another credit card. That's what we do. We accept doing a job or, do, or living a life that we really don't want to live. And what I'm saying is do not accept that. And, and I'm not telling you to be rash. I'm not telling you to go to work tomorrow and quit your job. I'm not telling you to starve yourself if you're, if you're fat right now or you're out of shape. But I'm telling you, don't accept it. Figure a way out. It, it, it doesn't need to be rash. Let me give you an example. You ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Yes, sir. Okay. He's not accepting his fate. Mm-hmm. And it take, how long does it take him in that movie to get out of prison? Mm-hmm. It's like 10 years, right? I think it was like 19 years. 19 years, crazy. bro. Yeah. He's plotting, but he doesn't accept it. Mm-hmm. Everyone else in that movie accepts it. Accepts it to the point that when they get out, they don't want to be out. That's how much they accept their fate. So that's what I'm saying. Don't. There's things in life where you cannot accept them. And if you accept them a little bit, you lose everything. Now look, I got since we're talking to you just a little bit, like Jeff Glover has a way of like over accepting things that works for him, right? Yeah. Like he, he, you know, he'll let someone, someone's gonna take his back, he'll roll into it and roll right through it, right? Mm-hmm. And you can do that too. I've done that in my life. It's something that I don't really wanna do, but I just, Go for it. I go all in. Like when I went to college, I didn't want to go to college. Mm-hmm. I just went. I just went all in and acted like crazy at college. Just did everything. Mm-hmm. Just went for it. 
So that was my way of winning in a situation that I didn't want to be in. I was like, okay, you know what? If I'm in a situation that I don't like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have fun winning at it. Yeah. I, I went into it. But that's the thing to do. Um, and as much as I talk, look, and there's, there's obviously a contradiction here. I talk all the time about being flexible and taking the indirect approach. And that, that's, the, that's the answer, right, most of the time. But when it comes to your life from a strategic perspective, strategic perspective, when you look at your whole life, or you look at certain situations on the jujitsu matter, you look at certain situations at work from a strategic perspective. Look, you can play the games, you can be flexible, you can take the indirect approach, but make sure that you're not accepting things that you don't truly want to accept and find a way out. Even if it takes 19 years, start today. That's what I got for you. That's that's funny. You met, you mentioned Jeff Glover, mm-hmm. yeah, his way because he is. It's technically a bigger like <clears throat> picture, more like a more profound level of not accepting it. It's more like I'm gonna accept it for a greater mm. unacceptance, yep. Yep. you know. <clears throat> so it's almost like, and if you apply it like to outside of jujitsu, it's like hey, if you see little things creeping in, little things that you don't want creeping in, whether it be complacency or whatever workouts, you know, a lot of times like. You're about to do a workout or mm-hmm. something, and you're like, oh, shoot, oh, frick, I got to finish this thing. It's important, so I'm going to finish it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I had an hour to work out, and I only have 45 minutes. And then some people are like, hey, I'll just do it tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Or even 30 minutes. They'll be like, ah, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. They'll be like, no, 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 jump in there, and you better do everything you can kind of a thing, mm-hmm. right? But Jeff Glover is like, okay, I'm not going to work out today, but I'm going to make it so whatever I do in that 30 minutes is going to be like, oh, dang, I'm at the end of like whatever day that is or whatever Mm -hmm. week or whatever. You're going to be kind of glad you did this other thing rather than the workout. Mm -hmm. Almost like my lack of time for the workout kind of provided this thing that I figured out right then and there is going to be even more beneficial. Yeah, I was going to say like maybe you're in a job that you don't like. So then you're like, you know what? I'm going to get so good at this that I can get promoted and not have to do it anymore. Exactly That's right. It. Or just pay attention to other things. Like, so by not accepting it, you're like, I don't accept this position I'm in. I'm going to yeah. work so hard at it that I get out of it. Yeah. And just that, yeah, just that little mind shift or whatever will like make you go in a completely different mm-hmm. direction. And it kind of helps your attitude too, man. Like the your whole college thing and the paperwork yeah. story that you always yeah. tell or whatever. Man, if you can really like embrace that or whatever, you're going to be... Because at the end of doing paperwork or at the end of doing college or whatever, you're kind of like, you kind of killed college. College is a good thing. So like if you want to do your garage, I don't know, I'm thinking of my life. So it's like all the garage like needs some clearing out, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to do that kind of stuff, you know. Meanwhile, it just gets more, you know, stuff that comes in. I'm like, all right, I'll get to that. put it in the garage. So it's just getting worse and worse. If I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to embrace it super hard. I'm going to go hard with the garage. When it's done, you're going to be way happier. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's almost like if I just accept, okay, well, I guess we're not using the garage for our Don't cars anymore. That. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then boom, not only did you more enjoy something that you didn't before, the garage is done. See what I'm saying? It can be your whole life. I like it. I like it. All right, let's get some questions. First question, Jocko Echo. Huge fan. The podcast helped me tremendously throughout the last few years. I'm 29 years old and I want to begin surfing. I started snowboarding last year. And I absolutely love it. 
I, I want to try my hand at surfing next summer. My question is, what does Jocko advise for surfing for beginners and what gear does Jocko use on his amphibious operations? Wetsuit brand, board brand type, etc. I know Jocko uses El Cajon-based Josh Hall boards, but what about for beginners? Thank you both so much, get some. Um, first of all, make sure that you are really good in the water, like comfortable, make sure you know how to swim really well. I don't know where I don't know where this dude's from, but like, you can go snowboarding, and you can fall down, yeah, and you're probably not gonna die. But you go into a rip current and you don't know how to swim, yeah. you'll 100 percent die. <laughs> yeah. So, what go? I would I don't know where you're from. I'm just as a baseline, like I would get so comfortable in the water that I would become some kind of a lifeguard, like a life saving course or something like this. Mm. So, train with a buddy. Make sure you train with a buddy. Don't be like, oh, Jocko said to learn how to swim. So you start going to try and swim across the lake by yourself. Mm. That's how you drown and die. And this is just swimming. This is just first. swimming, com- water comfort, yeah. right? Because yeah. if you don't know, if you think surfing looks cool and you don't recognize that there's this whole other aspect of it, yeah. that's being like comfortable in the water. So make sure you're comfortable in the water. If you were on the swim team, great. If you already are comfortable in the water, super. But if you're not, train appropriately and safely so you can get comfortable in the water because you don't want to die. Part one. Then get a soft top surfboard, a big one, like a 10 foot soft top surfboard because you wanna learn, they're durable, they're floaty, um, and you want a big board when you're learning how to surf because it's easier to paddle and it's easier to stand up on. It's a little bit, obviously it's a little harder to maneuver around, yeah. But you ain't maneuvering anything anyways. Like, you know, you're just going straight to the beach. Straight off, eight off is what we call it. <laughs> just going straight to the beach. So get a big board, a soft top, you know, even like a just a cheap, you know, you should be able to buy a used, don't buy a new one because they're made in China. So you don't want to help their economy, but go to a surf shop that has some old um, used soft top surfboards and get one of those. And that's where you start off on, like a 10-footer. Oh, you kind of wetsuit look I wear O'Neill wetsuits um, But there's all kinds of different good wetsuits and it's like Ford versus Chevy like kind of depends on what you like mm. And what has a good deal just try them on um, As far as procedures go go to a beach The beach break a small beach break then surf the white water. You're not gonna be getting any like big waves Just go surf the white water if you can get it some kind of a little class from somebody sign up for those little classes and take one and then yeah, then you just got to keep getting in the water and keep getting after it. That's pretty much it. I mean, don't step out too far outside your comfort zone and everything. You don't get better. No, stay in the comfort zone for surfing. You don't want to get outside your comfort zone in surfing because you can drown and you can be a kook and you don't want to be a kook and you don't want to drown. So a kook is like someone that doesn't know what they're doing that's trying to like surf in your area and you don't want to be the person that doesn't know how to surf surfing in an area with a bunch of people that do know how to surf because they don't want you there. You need to go a place where people are learning how to surf. <coughs> So that's what you do, man. Have fun. I like the, and I don't surf. I do snowboard though. And this is when I started, mm-hmm. I did choose to take a lesson right off the bat. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Because man, I, I feel like you can be clunking around in there and surfing. And I grew up in the water, so I body surf, body board. Yeah. I have surfed before, yeah. whatever. But there's like, Obviously, a lot of technique to it. So if you're just trying to eyeball it yeah, with no. zero technique, you'll probably take one of those classes. Bro, you're right? Yeah. And when I did the snowboard technique, I was like, okay, they taught me the technique, and I looked into a lot beforehand too. And I was like, man, I got up pretty quick. Not, I mean, I got 
not good at it. Look, am I good at snowboarding? Well, well, yeah, but at the time, <laughs> dude, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm good at it. But no, are you getting air yet? My fr- no, that's, oh, really? that's not part of the goal. I don't think with snowboarding. What? That's yeah. like the whole part of the goal of snowboarding no, to blast airs. Blast <laughs> No, no, no. From what I understand, I'm still learning snowboarding uh, pursuits and culture. Uh, there's three. There's uh, park, which is air. That's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's carving, which is just going down, back and forth, you know, carving. And then um, all mountain. And so back what, mountain, so all what mountain. are you? I don't know, carving, <laughs> mountain, I don't know. I want to go. I just go back and forth. Sounds you know? like just, you're lame. I, <laughs> I'm currently lame, but hey, man, hey, I'm, the out, thing I'm is, out there. Just FYI, of all board sports, snowboarding is the by far the easiest to get air. Yeah. It's the it's like surfing getting air is the hardest, skating is the next hardest, and then, but skating is easier, a lot easier than surfing. But yeah. snowboarding, Compared to surfing and skating for getting air is a joke. Like yeah. you can just get air day one. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I skateboarded growing up though, mm-hmm. so I felt I feel like snowboarding, like just go just functioning snowboarding was harder than skateboarding. No, then again, skateboarding probably t- I just didn't. I probably just forget what it took for me to to be proficient at skateboarding. Yeah. Well, I didn't know you were a good snowboarder, according to you. <laughs> 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 it's a sliding uh, scale. Yeah. All right. Well, yep. That's probably good advice, man. I didn't really give that advice. Like, that's probably a good call, man. Take a lesson if you can. Yeah, that's gonna sign I up think. for one of those little like surf camp things they have. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wherever I highly recommend. Yep. Check. Check. All right. Next question. Next question. Good evening, Jocko. My name is Alan. I'm 34 from Perth, Australia. I would like to ask you about your time management. How you learn that skill and the skill to support it. I think my time management is okay, but it can always be improved upon. I would also appreciate any, inv- any advice on how to squeeze in more time for exercise and getting weight training back into an already time poor schedule. I studied Win Chun for 17 years and was teaching it for four years. And I also played with Eskrima for about five years, but stopped it all to go back to university. My current Monday through Friday return is as follows. 4 p.m. Go to bed. 4 p.m. Yeah, he's, go to bed he's on early. a night shift. Okay. 11 p.m. wake or 11 p.m. wake up. 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. working in a warehouse in 20 negative 22 degrees Celsius. 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. sometimes 3 p.m. studying physics and math for mathematics part-time at university. 3 p.m. home shower prepare for next day sleep. On the weekends I try to spend all my time with my wife so you you and two daughters Amberly you is the wife. Mm-hmm. Right? So you is her name. Yeah. Wife, so you. Okay, my wife, so you and my daughter's Amberly. Um, three years and nine months. When I'm not studying, I like to go cycling on Sunday morning and try to get up to my instructor's Wing Chun class, usually with three-year-old, uh, clinging to my leg while I train and teach. Any advice? Okay, a couple things here. First of all, an hour to get ready for work. That's a long time. How about a 20-minute hit? Right? Now look, maybe there's compute commute involved in there, but what's your commute? How do you commute? Because if your commute, if you got a six mile commute to work, maybe you could be biking to work, and all of a sudden you're freeing up some time. Um, maybe you can run to work. I don't know how far it is. Do you have the opportunity to shower there once you're jumping to 22 degree? You know, you don't want to be all freezing. But what can you? How can you make that happen? Is it possible to make that happen? Is it possible to bike home? Or run home every day. Like what? What can you do to do that? 
All right, that's that's number one thing I'm looking at. Number two thing, five to six hours a day of studying is what you're talking about, right? 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. studying physics and mathematics part-time at university. That's a long time to be studying. My guess is your efficiency is low. What can you do to be more efficient in your studying? I mean, making flashcards. Can you study in your breaks at work? You get a break at work. It's better to study like multiple times throughout the day than just one sit down. So those are some like, honestly, those are sort of my initial takes on this. I start like my initial take is like, okay, well, what do we like? How do we do a little bit better? But here's here's my next more important answer is from a strategic perspective, what are you doing? So like you're going, you're studying physics and mathematics part-time at a university. What is the purpose of this? Why are you doing this? Where is it going to lead? Is it going to lead to a career or a job that you like? Is it something that you're gonna have to repay? Are you borrowing money to get to go to this school? Are you doing it because you love it and it's your passion? Or are you doing it because you want a career? Um, so I would dig into those questions and I would try and figure out an answer for those questions because there's a chance that maybe you don't need a degree, first of all. There's a chance that maybe you could space this out more so that you're not studying five to six hours a day. That's a long time. Your kids, three years old and nine months old? Okay, well maybe you're trying to get this degree done now so when they're a little bit older you can spend more time with them. If that's your strategy, then cool, I'm down with it. But figure out what your strategy is. What are you trying to do strategically? What? Because if you're trying to do this now so it's gonna pay off in the long run and in two years when you graduate you're gonna be able to get a great job, then, then it's okay, you know, suck it up for two years, whatever, bro. You, then you can get into jujitsu, because you you know why are you, why are we training um, Wing Chun when we could train jujitsu somewhere? Like let's go train jujitsu. Uh, because you already have look you have 17 years of experience in Wing Chun that's cool good, but I'm saying I would open it up into a broader skill and learn jujitsu. You can do Wing Chun you know, once a week or once a month because you learned it already, and let's do that jujitsu. So that's what I would do. What I would look at this not from a, ta- you're looking at it from a tactical perspective. Uh, at, at the firefight itself, I got a day, this is how many hours, how do I make it better? I'm trying to get you to look at it from a strategic perspective. What are your goals in life? What does this degree give you? How much is it worth? What is your timeline on it? That's what I would start to look at. And so I hope that makes sense to you. The other, I think you asked a question here about like what what can I do or how I learned the skill. I would say that I learned the skill of time management by I've always been in a job my whole adult life where the work was never done and I'm still there today. <laughs> my, like no matter what I do, I will never finish working. Like I can never finish I can never finish, it never stops. When we get done recording this podcast, I immediately have to prep another podcast. And when I get done recording that one, I have to prep another one. And by the way, I have this thing, and the other thing, and that thing. I'm writing another book, I'm writing another two books right now. I gotta write a forward to another book. So, so there's, there's no way I can get everything done. So I just have to be able to figure out, and this is the key point, what's important and what's not. 
And if something's not important, I gotta put it on the back, back burner. I'm gonna prioritize and execute in my life. That's what I'm gonna do. So I would do a strategic review of your life. Sit down with your wife. Let's talk about what it is we're trying to do. Let's make sure we have some clear strategic goals. Make sure we're getting ROI on investments that we're making right now. Studying six hours a day, man, there better be some ROI on the back end of that, like a kick-ass job that you've already been recruited for. Because physics and mathematics, I don't even know what kind of a job you can get with. If you were like, hey, I'm going to get a job and, or I'm studying mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, I'm going to go get a job being a, a, you know, an electrical engineer, okay. I don't know what you could do as a physics and mathematics degree. I know there's jobs out there, but I don't know what they are. So what are we going to do? Let's, let's have a strategic, a strategic planning session with your wife and let's figure out how to reorganize your life from a broader perspective so that you can have more time to spend with your wife, with your kids, and with yourself taking care of yourself. That's my answer. That's crazy. I, yeah, I never would have. I don't think I ever would have thought of that. I feel like I should have thought of that. Mm. It's where uh, you get the first take, right? The first take is like, okay, well, how can you get a little right? bit better in these things? That's yeah. a tactical perspective. Yeah. But man, you start thinking like, what am I doing wrong in my life? Yeah. Because I'm failing to be able to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. A lot of stuff is like a given, you know, like you kind of just take it. Oh yep. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. That's what I'm doing. You know, I'm, yep. I'm going to, I mean, in this case, going to university, what I mean to not go to university, you know, like it's kind of like a given, you know, mm. you don't even think maybe about not. it. Maybe you yeah. get a, maybe you get a job as an apprentice electrician somewhere Yeah. and all of a sudden you can work as an apprentice electrician, get paid and, and you have a really good job when you get done with that. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Next question. Next question. Oh, and watch the Instagram scenario. Here's the thing. People don't like to admit this part when they go on social media. Mm-hmm. Like people don't like to admit like, oh, yeah, I spend like a, a cumulative one hour a day on social mm-hmm. media. Like if you grab all the little two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes on social media, it can add up a lot. But people are not going to add like, you know, I'm not saying he's doing that. I'm not saying that. Just saying watch out for it. But I'm saying watch out because a lot of men, we don't take that into account. That's A. And B, even if we do take it into account, it's like, unless you feel like you have a problem with it, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, that I, you know, I want to recommend, you know, my, I need my hour of social media. You're just not going to count it almost, you know, you know, some people, they don't count like sauce in their diet. Oh, yeah. They get hurt. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. Well, my diet's perfect. Eight freaking two huge salads a day and like, you know, lean meats and all this stuff. Meanwhile, they put like two cups of ranch on the side, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying you got to watch out. There you go, man. Next question. Yesterday morning, my nine-year-old dog passed away. It was very sudden and unexpected. I've been with this dog virtually every day for the past nine years. Even lived in a tent with her for a good time. She was as close to as a child as I probably ever have. In state, and to say the least, I'm devastated. And I've never lost something so important and special to me. So the story goes, the vet clinic I went to was supposed to be in, to be the best around. With one of the brightest vets around. While the vet is smart, her and her staff were very jaded and heartless to us, especially the animals in the clinic. I tried at one point to take my dog home and administer fluids and medicine from there with a mobile vet set to check in. Oh, with a mobile vet set to check in on us. But the vet at the clinic talked me out of it by saying she's best hospitalized. So against my instincts, I, instinct, I said, okay, 
and the next morning she was gone. I never shared my disgust with the vet or her staff. I simply tried to keep my cool and not make anything about anything other than the dog. I assumed that these people knew what they were doing and cared about animals, but my detached side could see they just didn't care. First off, I know it's not a comple- as complex as losing a friend in battle, a parent, or a child, but this dog was really the old cliche, my best friend. My questions are, how do I deal with the situation the vet staff put us through and how do I find peace and the will to go do anything I don't see much point in in anything anymore I know people out there have way bigger problems and deserve deserve help way more than me but I'm making this really tough on myself all right um let's start off talking about the veterinarian clinic itself well first of all sorry about your dog man that's 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 terrible to hear um We'll get into that first off for the vets. If if the vets were really that bad, and I say the word if intentionally, I say the word if intentionally because you're saying that they're jaded and detached, and I'm going to agree with you. Yes, they are. That's how they do their job. They cannot get emotionally attached to every dog that comes in. They have to make life and death decisions all the time. They are jaded. And I'm not saying that's great. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be more, be more caring. But you kind of have to expect that from them. And there's a chance that what they were doing was taking this dog from you and and taking you out of the bad situation that you might have had to be in, right? They might have seen that the dog was going to die, and they're like, hey, why don't we just keep it here, and you can go home, and that way you don't have to see the dog suffer. They might have been doing that. They might have been doing this in your best interest. That is a chance. Now, that's what I hope, and that might be hard to see with your emotions, and that, which is totally understandable, right? Now, that being said, if they truly were and are that awful, what would I do? I would probably, so if I thought that they, they just were absolutely jaded, I think they didn't care about my dog, I think they treated us bad, and I really got truly detached, which is gonna be very difficult to do, and I still came to that conclusion, I would probably take some time and write a letter to them and hand deliver it and ask to talk through the letter with the owner or the senior person there, right? And explain what happened, explain why it happened, and explain how it made you feel. And the hope for this is, is that they, you know, it's not gonna make you feel better. That's not the goal. The goal is that they actually learn. The goal is that you're actually able to, to educate them on what the perception is of them. They might need a reset. You know what I mean? They not might not realize the state that they're in. They might be jaded to a point where you're right, they're being jaded and they don't recognize it because that's what they do every single day. You know, this horrific thing that you just went through, they go through that every day with two, three, four animals. So they might need a reset. They might not recognize that. So I would write down what happened and I would, ask to talk to them and explain it to them and then see how they react because there's a chance if they listen and they're sympathetic then that means they're like oh damn we we really messed this up right 
we need to change our protocol. We need to we need to do this differently, and that's what we hope for. There's also a chance that they're like, "Hey, thanks for the feedback. Uh, we appreciate it. See you later." And that means they're likely just like as bad as you say. And then listen, if you want to, you know, go on Yelp or some online review platforms, Google Maps and stuff like that, and leave some kind of a warning review about what you experience that to me that that's I'm not like talking about doing this in a vengeful way but the reason I would do that is to give people a heads up of what you experienced because I don't want someone else to experience this right um my goal would be not to have vengeance my goal would be to try and spare other people from suffering this bad situation that you did so that's what I would do as far as the vet goes and listen, dude, you are not going to be able to right the wrongs of the world. Like, it's, I hate to say it. This is a functional company. They've been doing this for a long time. They have their protocols. The chances that you're able to have a significant impact on them, it isn't great. It, it just isn't. That's why, like, I'm not going to get caught up in this. Do your best, try and approach them and tell them what the issue was. Hopefully you can have an impact on them. If you can't, the best you can do is say, hey everyone on Yelp, here's, here's the situation that I went through. Don't, make, don't write too much. Here's the situation I was in. Here's why you should avoid this place. And that's what you're gonna, that's gonna get, you're not, I'm not gonna be able to get you the emotional gratification that you want. Right, I'm not gonna be able to do that. You're not gonna be able to do that. Where you, oh, hey, go down there with a baseball bat and smash out all the windows. It's not, that's, it's not going to help. It's not going to help. So we want to move through it. We want to help other people if we can, and we've got to move on. You've got you, you to move on past that. Now, on to the loss of your dog. And you, as you called out, this is not as bad as the loss of a human friend. But... You know, the, the, the furry friends are friends too, and I get it. And like losing a human friend, the, you're, you're going to go through those emotions. And I, I, we did a podcast about this, and I talked about the waves of emotion. And if you, I think if you Google, you know, on YouTube, dealing with loss Jocko dealing with loss or something like that you'll see a video someone made a good video that's you know it's about the waves of emotion that you experience at first when you lose someone or in this case when you lose a dog and those emotions are waves that are going to hit you and they're going to be totally stronger than you and they're going to knock you around and you're going to feel like you've lost your mind and you have no control but here's what I can tell you and I know this because I've been through it many times eventually the waves will start to subside and over time, they'll become less powerful. And over time, they'll become less frequent. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you are processing what happened. And death is part of life. And people, we all learn to process it. So that's what's going to happen. Those emotions are going to fade. And that's not bad. And then, you know, we don't dwell. But we remember. Remember, but don't dwell. Now, pragmatically, I got a friend. His name is Pete. It's not English Peter, but another Pete. And this is a, a surfer, a great guy. Um, 
and he, you know, he's an older guy. He's retired. Great guy. Always the, one of the best attitudes ever. I've asked him to come on the podcast. We'll see if we can get him on. Um, just had a really interesting life. Um, has a 1974 Volkswagen van that he bought in like 19, or sorry, it's a 1971 Volkswagen van that he bought in 1973, something like that. He's had it. So that's what he drives. And everywhere he drives, he's got his dog, Rudy, German Shepherd. And literally everything that Pete does with Rudy. Everything. Wake up in the morning, he's right there. Drive down to check the surf, he's right there. Rudy sits in the van while Pete goes out and surfs. Comes back and he just sits there and waits. Everything he does, he does with Rudy. And Rudy, you know, was old. And, uh, you know, so I was talking to Pete. And he kind of knew that Rudy was going to die soon. And I know that your dog died unexpected, but still, just check out this protocol here. And, you know, I said, well, what are you going to do when he dies? Well, well, you know, what are you going to do? Because, I mean, they're, they're like literal best friends. And he said, you know, but he goes, Rudy's not my first dog. He's been through this before. And he said, you know, he goes, uh, takes me about three months. He goes, for three months, I'm going to be sad and I'm going to miss Rudy. And it's going to take me about three months. And after three months, I'm going to start looking for a new dog. And that's what he did. <laughs> and one day, you know, I mean, uh, Rudy, Rudy died. And, you know, I, I mean, it's just sad as sad as could be. And then a few months went by. And one day I saw the, the VW van pull up. And there's a little puppy. <laughs> little German Shepherd puppy so you know Rudy's not forgotten but the new dog is getting along just fine and so is Pete so give yourself three months is the protocol three months is the protocol from surfer Pete and uh, then go get a new dog and take care of your new dog because he deserves it and so do you there you go <laughs> Good advice. Yeah, it's, it's tough when you have those things where it's like you're not gonna get what you want. Yeah, you're not gonna get the feeling of satisfaction. So the worst thing you could do is allow that veterinary place to cause you to be miserable. You're yeah. you're you're letting them suffer. You're letting them make you suffer even more than they deserve. Yeah. So. Well, we all face things like that in life. Yeah. You know, where you've got to accept what happened and say, okay, that's what happened. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to get this back. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to get this back. I was, when I was the admiral's aide, you know, we were traveling all the time and just, oh, it's just, it just sucked. You know, you're constantly in airports and like, you know, flights get canceled, flight gets bumped, flight gets delayed, you know, just, and what, what I learned from Admiral McGuire. <laughs> It's like, no, there's literally nothing you can do about it. Like you're, and, and well, you can go, okay, hey, we're gonna try and book a new flight. You do all that stuff, I get it. But guess what? You are gonna lose this night that you were supposed to go home and see your kids and hang out with your wife. You're never gonna get that night back. It's gone. Yeah. And you could be pissed about that. And you could let that airline 
take more than one night from you. They could take your happiness. So it's just like, okay, cool. Hey, you know what? I would really love to be with my wife tonight, but I'm not. But you know what I am going to do? Go get a good steak somewhere. I'm going to go see what's going on in Chicago. I'm going to go see what's going on in Nashville. Like, let's go. So don't let, don't let someone else control your emotions. You're not always gonna, you're not always gonna, it's not always gonna be a happy ending for things. Hey, I, Ernest Hemingway, I believe, he said if two people love each other, there can never be a happy ending. Yeah. If you love your dog, there's not gonna be a happy ending yeah. for either you or the dog. Yeah. It's the way life is. Yep. Don't make it worse than it already is. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, I mean, not with the airline scenario, you, you, what'd you say? Don't let the airline take more than that night. Yeah. That's Don't let good, it take uh, your freaking happiness. That's good, man. Yeah. <sighs> Next question. You do a very good job at explaining how a person can grow mentally and physically through jujitsu, but I haven't seen an episode where you acknowledge the serious disease that commonly spread on the mat. For example, herpes simplex and MRSA. Not everyone will want to take the risk of catching these diseases. I believe you can do a better job explaining the risk. Uh, Yeah, so good question. Um, There's definitely some skin-related diseases, is what he's talking about here, Mm -hmm. that you can catch. He didn't mention ringworm. Maybe it's because he says, you know, serious diseases and ringworm is not that serious. Mm-hmm. Ringworm, honestly, for me, is almost a way of life at times. You know, it's ringworm. just like one of those things. <laughs> at some point, there's been times in my life where, like, everyone in my family has ringworm. You know, like, just, it's just everywhere. And and everyone's cleaning, but, um, you know, especially when the kids are wrestling, uh, and, you know, at school and all that stuff. Anyways, MRSA um, is horrible. And... Occasionally, it can be really, really bad. And occasionally, MRSA is fatal. Hmm. So you can get a staph infection, a MRSA staph infection that is fatal. Um, how do you defend that? You got to stay clean. <laughs> I mean, you got to clean. You got to clean yourself after you train. You want to get a, a rash guard. You want to get uh, spats to cover your skin up. That can be a great idea if you're worried about this stuff. And then when you, as soon as you get done, you go clean up. And you should be training at a facility that is clean, that clean their mats. You know, and it's if you're training at a facility where people are getting staff, that's not a good sign for your facility that you're training at. So make sure you're training at a clean facility and make sure you're cleaning yourself. The, uh, the herpes... I, I, look, I had to look it up. Herpes gladiatorium. I'd always heard about it, mm. right? Uh, ran some numbers. 2% of high school rec- wrestlers have it. 4% of college wrestlers have it. It's extremely contagious. Uh, so, obviously, it's... The, th- the interesting thing about it, it's like, uh, I looked at pictures of it, whereas it's like usually on your torso, your legs, or something like this. And the symptoms are that you have like little blisters and it's itchy. That's what mm-hmm. it is. So it's, even though he says it's serious, it's really just kind of gross mm-hmm. and shitty to have to live with, right? Yeah. Um, but, and it's extremely contagious. You can even get it, you can get it from like, uh, in reading about it, you can get it from like just 
you know, touching things that someone that has it touched. Mm. So super gnarly. Now here's the thing, as, as I read about that, you like think, well, I must 100% have it, you must have it, and everyone we know must have it. Yeah. I don't know anyone that has it. Yeah. Um, I know I don't have it, I know you don't have it, but like, as contagious as it is, you would like you would think that all my kids have it because from wrestling tournaments and you know like you would just think everyone had it. Mm. So even though it's very contagious, I don't. And then you find out that only two percent of wrestlers, high school wrestlers and four percent of college wrestlers have it. So, um, is there a risk of getting these things? Yes. Does it suck? Yes. I do not. I mean, knock on wood, right? I don't want to catch any of this stuff. Um. If we were to run like a military risk assessment on it, well, if I ran it for myself, because you got to run it for yourself. If you if you got to run this risk assessment for yourself, and if you look at it and you say, "Hey, there's a chance I could get this herpes gladiatorium or a MRSA infection," you've got to figure that out for yourself. For me, here's how I run that that, that risk assessment. Um, first of all, I train at a very clean place because it's my gym. I train, you know, we clean the mats all the time. We use disinfectant. I use defense soap or killer soap, which has tea tree oil in it. Um, so I'm going to use, I use soap that kills this kind of stuff. Uh, and here's my risk assessment. There's a very, very, very small chance that I could get something like this. And if I do, there's a very, very, very small chance that it has some kind of a catastrophic outcome. So there's a small chance that you could get like die from getting a MRSA infection. And guess where else you could get a MRSA infection? Basically anywhere. Yeah. Like you go to a hospital, you probably have a better chance of getting a MRSA infection than you do yeah. in a jujitsu gym. Yeah. So when I run that risk assessment, to me, I am okay with it. I am taking the risk. But you as an individual have to run that risk assessment yourself. I've never gotten MRSA. I've never gotten uh, herpes gladiatorium. I've had a bunch of ringworm. I've trained all over the world with all kinds of people in all kinds of environments. Like I've trained with just the most random places, pieces of canvas thrown out on the dirt. I've trained in big wrestling halls. Like I've trained everywhere. And I'm doing okay. I'm lucky, yes. You may be the unlucky person. You have to do that assessment. Um, shower, clean yourself, wear a wrap. Like, don't wait till you get home. Shower at your facility. Wear a rash guard, you know, go to originusa.com, go to Jocko Store, get yourself a rash guard, get yourself some spats so that you protect your skin. Don't train with open cuts and open sores. Don't train with anyone that has ringworm. Don't train when you have ringworm. Maybe do a quick check. You know, when you wrestle, the referees check your body to see if you got any breakouts of this shit. So, yes, it is a risk. Uh, I, I, quite frankly, I'd say the reason that we really haven't mentioned that before is because I've never had it, you've never had it. You know, mm-hmm. We've talked about you can hurt your bicep because you've had torn bicep, mm-hmm. right? I've talked about how you can get a high ankle sprain because I've had a high ankle sprain. I've talked about how I hurt my arm because I hurt my arm. Right, right. I've never had this and Luckily, we've never had a breakout of this. Um, so do that risk assessment for yourself. There are There is a risk of these things. They can happen. And just pay attention. You know, pay attention to your training partners, obviously. Mm. 
There, no one would be insulted if you were like, hey, dude, I am super sensitive to skin rashes. Can I make sure you don't have it? People would be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if so. you're if they if someone's training even with ringworm, which mm-hmm. is gonna be the least, you know, impactful, um, bro, they'll kick you right off the mat. Oh yeah, you're like, oh, you think it's ringworm. Hey, hey, oh, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Bro, exactly. what is this? Oh yeah. yeah. And you know, some guys they'll like cover it up or something like that. And a lot of rash guards are antimicrobial as mm-hmm. well, so it kinda defends against this kind of stuff. But yeah, ringworm is one of those deals where it kinda like comes and then some people got some ringworm and then it just is gone. Mm. Like I haven't, man, I haven't had ringworm in years. Yeah. I haven't had ringworm in a pretty long time. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it feels like, I yeah, don't like, know that I know of anyone who's had staff and I vaguely remember something about staff, no, but no one's had staff that a, I know of. A girl at the, at victory. It might've even been when we were called throwdown. A staff girl, like a girl that worked the front desk, oh, got yeah. staff. She didn't train. Oh yeah, <laughs> we weird. were like, "What the hell?" Yeah, yeah. So you know, she, she might have got that from some someplace. She might have, but I mean, you you're asking if someone got staff, like that's one person, right? So, but so consider that, like, what you know, even in back in the day. I mean, I'm sure we have more than two thousand members now. That's like. That's a lot of people, yeah. and it's not like I'm uh, one finger in the jujitsu community, yeah, bro. I'm in yeah, here, yeah. And I'm sure people have had ringworm and stuff that we didn't know about because they're training in the day or they're training at night or whatever. There's just different uh, yeah. classes. There's some people possible. have had. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and claim like, no, there's never been, right. there's never been anyone with staph infection here. Yeah. Because um, I'm sure people get it because you can get staph infection anywhere. Yeah. But there's no, like again, you got to run a risk assessment for yourself. Yeah. And if it was like, hey, when you do jujitsu or you wrestle, you've got a 70% chance of catching a horrific disease that'll kill you. Cool. You know, jujitsu community would be different. Yeah, it's different. You know, like the the wrestling would be a totally different sport because there'd be like some protocols put in place where you'd have to do some kind of test. Well, you know what I mean? They'd they'd figure it out. Yeah, fully. And yeah, and the point there is... The, the question kind of implied that it was this, like I said, catastrophic yeah. thing. Yeah. And yeah. look, I'm not saying staff is like normal. And yeah, no, and staff, staff can like, you can die from staff. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, my daughter, when she was a year and a half, got MRSA. But it wasn't from jujitsu or nothing. It was, she was sick, one of her, mm. and it infected one of her lymph nodes through, yeah. I don't know, maybe the beach, maybe, I don't know, some, somewhere. Oh, yeah, you can get it from the beach too, by the way. Um, but yeah, so MRSA is no joke. Yeah, like the way this question is phrased is like acknowledge serious disease that commonly spread. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not wrong. But look, man, we'd be there wouldn't be a jiu-jitsu gym on every corner of every freaking street in San Diego. Yeah. There wouldn't be every high school running jiu-jitsu or sorry, running wrestling classes and having massive tournaments. You go to a wrestling tournament. There's a th- Hey man, I went to a jiu-jitsu tournament this weekend. There was 3,000 competitors. Yeah. 3,000 competitors. Yeah. Yeah. If this was if everyone was doing this thing like I might die. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, yeah. I, I'm not trying to, you know, um diminish diminish yeah. but it's something you should weigh and something you should be protective about. Yeah. There you go. I would say this and this is probably going to be pretty safe to say. Don't worry about staff. Ringworm? Okay, so ringworm, you may or may not encounter ringworm. Mm -hmm. You know, you get a clean gym, you don't have to worry about ringworm. But you're probably not going to get staff. So don't worry about staff until it's time to worry about staff. That means, like, if there's, like, some sort of outbreak, you heard of someone, got staff, there's an outbreak. It's, like, it's usually a huge deal when an outbreak of, if someone catches staff from your gym. Mm -hmm. It's a huge deal. So 
if you're just rolling around worrying about staff all the time, right, you're going to worry unnecessarily. Because most, like, how many people, that just, a lot of MMA guys, you know, might encounter staff more so than us for a lot of reasons, because mm-hmm. open source really, yeah. you like, open up your the opportunity yeah. and all that. But a normal jujitsu person, I, I would wager that a very small percentage of them have ever gotten staph infection, mm-hmm. ever. Very small percentage yeah. of all the people I know. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's real, but is it like on the, on the radar as far as things to worry about? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm worried about getting claustrophobic under Jocko's side mount more <laughs> so than I'm ever about staff. I'll tell you that. Check. So it's one of those deals. It's it's something for sure, but until it's on the radar, like for real, then that's it's it's not as um as prevalent. Yeah. Check. Next question. I'm currently, I'm currently an Australian Defense Force member, and even though I'm proud to serve my country, I always wanted to be a part of either the U.S. Marines or Navy. The U.S. has a country. The U.S. as a country has really stood out to me over since, ever since I was in elementary school. However, I have family in the U.S., and finding a job there to get. A green card is next to impossible. I wish I could lateral transfer and take my skills to the U.S. Navy or Marines. However, they don't take lateral transfers. Ever since I was a kid, I found the Navy SEALs and Marine Raiders the standouts for me. It would be a dream if I could reach that level one day. I'm still in my early 20s, and I believe I have enough time left. What would your advice be for me trying to get over to the United States? You would know more about coming to the United States than I would because I just live here. And so I don't know if I could offer you any advice on how to get here. You could probably Google that and come up with a better answer than I could give you. Um, he, my advice wouldn't be about trying to get to the United States. My advice would be why won't you just go into the Australian SAS? Or why don't you go into the Australian Commandos? Because those are badass units. They cross-train and work with SEALs, they cross-train and work with Marines. You still be a part of Australia. Um, You would save time. Uh, The SEAL training is almost impossible to pass and you would be gambling everything that you have on a 10%, that's probably less. When you look at, see they, they take the attrition rates of the SEAL teams and they base it on who actually gets to show up to SEAL training. And then it's like 10 or 20% of the people make it. If you actually take everyone that goes to the Navy to try and be a SEAL and how many don't make it, it's probably 3%. So it's almost impossible to get in. Uh, Marines, you can pretty much, you're just not getting in the Marine Corps if you have prior service. The Marine Corps does not take people with prior service. They They want to form that brain from day one. So it's next to impossible to get, as an American, it's next to impossible to go from the Army to the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Marine Corps. They don't want it. Because why, why would they get someone? They, they want people that wanted to be in the Marine Corps. So the, the Marines is like out of the question. They won't take they won't take people with prior service. SEAL's almost impossible to, to, to get into that training. And if you do make it, it's almost impossible to get through it. So Australia is an awesome country with outstanding special operation units. I know, guys, they are awesome, outstanding people, outstanding warriors. So that's 
what I would do. I would be SAS or commandos all day long. And look, if I guess if you want to try and piggyback on your family that's American to try and get to America, try and like meet a woman over here and marry a woman, um, you know, when what, what is the relationship that you have with these people? I'm not talking, I'm like, what's the actual relation? Is your mom here? Is your dad here? Like, is it something like that? I don't know. But all that is going to take a bunch of time and a bunch of effort. And there you are in Australia with two outstanding professional units filled with warriors that need fighters. That's what I would do. I think I would proudly serve in either of those units and that would be my my goal. So, yeah, that's what I would do. Um, you wanna try and mess around here for a little bit, try and meet an American girl, you wanna try and see if you can piggyback onto some of the, maybe spend a little while trying to do that, but my focus would be getting in shape, getting in awesome shape and trying to make it through to the SAS or the commandos. That's where I'm at. Australia is an outstanding military. Um, and with that, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you for supporting the cause. You guys know where to, to further support the cause. We appreciate you being here. Um, we're on the social medias and all that crap. But more important, we're here with you on the underground where we will always be free. So until next time, this is Echo and Jocko, out.